0: You're listening to the Journey to Launch Podcast. How to overcome adversity and build wealth through relationships with Casanova Brooks. T minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch Podcast with
1: your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps
0: brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in in five four three two one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch Podcast. If you are a OG listener, then you know you're a journeyer already. That's what we call each other here. If you're new, you're a journeyer. No debates. Every week I bring you a brand new episode. And I'm happy to bring you this week's episode. I'm gonna be talking to Casanova Brooks on the podcast this week. Now, Casanova Brooks is an award-winning author, high-energy keynote speaker, and entrepreneur. And as you'll hear through our conversation, Casanova has been through a lot in his life. He has battled cancer, he's lost his mother, his job, home, all in a matter of weeks. And he has had very limited resources to really bring him to where he is today. So he's gonna talk through how it is that he became a successful entrepreneur and really it's through his mindset and building meaningful relationships. So we're going to talk a lot about that in the podcast and I'm excited for you to hear it. Okay, journeyers, one last thing. So the 3 year anniversary of the podcast is coming up. It's going to be in July and I was actually planning a live event, a live podcast show in July in New York City to celebrate the 3 year anniversary, but as we all know, corona was not having that. So it had to be postponed, delayed, and it will probably, hopefully, happen next year. But I still wanna celebrate the three-year anniversary of the podcast. So I want you to be included in that. So this is how you can be involved. Send a short voicemail, one to one and a half minutes, for your chance for it to be played on the three-year anniversary episode in July. Here's what you can say. So record your voice note. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash voicemail. And you'll see a little button. You can click and just state your name, where you're from, and what you gained or accomplished from listening to the podcast. So that can be a money win that you paid off this amount of debt, X amount of debt. You negotiated a raise, you have a better money mindset. Whatever it is that you gained from being a journeyer and listening to this podcast. And then finally, a money tip that you can share with another journeyer that's helped you that can help someone else. So here's your chance to be a part of the episode, to hear your voice on the podcast. Again, just leave a short voicemail at journeytolaunch.com slash voicemail. Say your name, where you're from, something you gained from the podcast and a tip for other journeyers. I can't wait to hear all your voice notes that come in. Deadline to submit your voice note will be June 30th, 2020. Oh, and before we hop into the episode, I want to let you know about this podcast that I've been really digging lately. It's called The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics. Now, women of color are often too forgotten in most media coverages. From Wonder Media Network, The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics is all about amplifying the voices of women of color. It's the one-stop shop for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. Host Ashanti Golar speaks with influential activists, politicians, journalists, and more who are playing a transformative role in the 2020 elections and beyond. From Stacey Abrams to Joy Ann Reed, these women are changing the face of politics. Listen and subscribe to the Brown Girls Guide to Politics wherever you get your podcast. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, journeyers, I'm back with another what I hope to be inspiring and insightful episode. I have Casanova Brooks on the podcast. Hi, Casanova. Hey, Jamila, how are you? I am excited to talk to you and to learn more about your story. So one of the things that we talked about before I pressed record was just like all the things you've been through in life and how you turn all that adversity into things that fueled you to success. You made a name for yourself in real estate investing, but I think what stands out the most for me is just your ability to mentally succeed. And I feel like for journeyers, for people who listen to this podcast, the mental part of stuff to me is actually the most important key to building wealth. Like it's like that stuff that you actually have to the internal work so I'm really excited to get to learn more about your story um, and for you to share what you were able to do to be able to elevate yourself to this. So just, I'm excited. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to share and hopefully I can be some type of value to your listeners. And yeah, I'm very excited to be on.
0: Okay. So first let's tell everyone a little bit more about who you are. I know like real estate is your background a bit, but like, what have you been able to accomplish? Cause people are like, okay, so who's Casanova and why should we care? Like, what have you been able to do with, Your real estate investing portfolio, and then we can kind of like jump into the mindset stuff that allowed you to do that.
1: Yeah, so I would say, really looking at my backstory, I think it would it would lead up a lot into where we are today and uh, what I've been able to accomplish. So I always like to think of myself as a relationship builder before anything else. So for me, I grew up in inner city Chicago, and I was raised by a single mom. I was also uh, my grandma stepped in to help lead the way of being my dad. So For me, I never had anybody that told me exactly uh, what I was supposed to be in life, which was kind of a good thing. But at the same time, I never had anybody who could really lead me as far as from a man's perspective. I was the only child. So I didn't have any older brothers or anything like that. So for me, it was a lot of trial and error. When people look at it now of like me owning multiple businesses me being in real estate, having a real estate investing portfolio, me being the rookie of the year here in Nebraska. In my first year, within nine months, I did 46 deals and $8 million in volume in real estate as an agent. All those things, I think they attribute to just how I've been able to build relationships. So that's how I think I've gotten to this point. But Looking back, I know a lot of the times people love to know the backstory, and if it's okay with you, I'll share a little bit more into that backstory.
0: Yeah, let's go there, because I think, obviously, the backstory, all those things that you've went through allowed you to be who you are today, so I definitely want to jump into that.
1: Yeah, so, again, I grew up inner-city Chicago raised by my mom and grandma. And when I was growing up, I was raised in the heart of gangs, violence, just everything that should have told me that this was not supposed to be where I am today because I had the odds stacked against me. But I did have a strong mind. I had two strong-minded women who always tried to protect me. So they would always tell me, you know, that like I could be anything that I wanted to be. But again, I didn't know where exactly I was supposed to go in life. So I guess the first stage of adversity that I went through was I had two best friends who I was spending all of my time with. And we were young. I mean, this was around first, second grade. Well, we would always go to the beach in uh, Chicago. And basically, one Sunday, they came over to the house. And we was this was routine. And they said, hey, we're about to go to the beach. And I, for whatever reason, I can't tell you the reason why. But for whatever reason, I said, I don't want to go this morning. Well, to fast forward that story about four hours later, I remember their mom coming over to to our house saying, "Hey, do you know where the boys are?" thinking that I was supposed to be with them and, and maybe they would have knew where we all were. My mom says, "No, you know, Cass is in the room," and then come to find out they both wound up drowning at that beach that day. So that was the first time that I was like, "Man, like this wow. is crazy. I just lost my two best friends and I was supposed to be right there with them." How old How old were you? At this time I was probably about 8 years old.
0: Okay. Eight, maybe
1: 9 years old. So that was my first thing that like, I was just like, oh my God, I mean, I was spending 100% of my time. Those were my guys. We were the three musketeers. So that was kind of that first thing that it was like, wow. And I had to figure out how to cope with that. Well, then again, as drugs and gangs and everything else became more accessible to me because I became older and and I'm starting to become more and more aware, my grandma also started to become more and more aware. So my grandma says, hey, you know what? We got to get him up out of here. So by the end of my sixth grade year, Basically, my cousin had just graduated college, and then she went on to uh, not come back to Chicago, but to go to a small town in Iowa called Sioux City. So a lot of my other family started to migrate there just to give kids a better life, and word gets back around to my grandma. Next thing I know, less than two weeks later, we're on a Greyhound going to check out Sioux City, Iowa, And then less than two months later, all of our stuff is packed into a U-Haul. And my grandma makes the decision that I'm going to Sioux City, Iowa. Obviously, she's coming too. And my mom didn't really have a choice, but she came along because I'm an only child. And uh, so, yeah, so that's how everything starts to first change for me. So what does that look like? Well, first off, I'm about 13 years old, 12, 13 years old. And now I'm in a totally different environment, as you can imagine, coming from inner city Chicago, where people only look like you and I. To now being basically exposed to all of this diversity and having to figure out who are the people that are really on my side and things like that. But I always tell people that I was fortunate enough that my grandma made that decision for me because I didn't grow up with, in a sense, an ignorant mindset that said that just because you didn't look like me did not mean that you had to be against me and you couldn't be with me. So it allowed me to really get out there and just try to build relationships with other people and try to figure out how I could really fit in and even stand out in a world where it's, it's so much going on. So I'm now living life in Sioux City, Iowa. Um, things are a lot different for me. But then I hit my next stint of, I guess you would call adversity. And and that is when I was 15 years old, I was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. And so I was two weeks away from death. And what wow. that
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. So,
1: so what that looked like is for me, you know, going through high school, I'm a sophomore in high school at this time, very popular. I'm playing basketball, football track, and I'm also on the dance squad and they're winning national titles. So everything is going great. Now, keep in mind, I never was sick as a child. I never had chicken pox, measles, anything. So this was all foreign. And what happens is I wound up leaving football season about a month early and I was ready for basketball to start up. And I just decided that I didn't want to play football anymore. So then as we're walking through the hallways, I'm telling like my friends, I'm like, yo, I'm having a hard time breathing. And they're like, ah, oh, it's probably just because we just started conditioning in basketball and you're probably just out of shape a little bit. So I'm like, ah, oh, you know what, you're right. But well, then when I would get out of, school and out of practice, I would come home and the first thing I would do is like take a nap. And so it was so unlike me and my mom saw it and she's like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, I don't know. I just having a little bit of hard time breathing. I'm super tired. And she's like, okay, well, if this persists, you know, over the next couple of days, like we're going to go to the doctor and see what's up. And so the next couple of days, of course it did persist. I kept taking lots of naps and feeling tired. And so then we go to the, the emergency room one night. And I remember, again, I'm always, I've always kind of been ignorant to the fact because growing up, I was never exposed to a lot of things. So like, for me, I didn't know what it looked like to really even go to hospitals and things. So all I could really think of was when the nurses said, or the doctor said like, hey, we think it might be a little bit more serious. We're going to do a lot more testing since obviously it's dealing with breathing and my chest. And they're like, we, we're going to keep him overnight. So I'm thinking I'm going to get like, sponge baths from nurses. I'm going to get ice cream. Like I'm only 15 at this time. I'm like, this is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, I remember they come back in at like 1 a.m. in the morning. They're like, hey, you know what? Actually, we got public transportation that's going to take you guys to the University of Iowa, which is on the other side of the state about four and a half hours away. Um, We think it may be a little bit more serious. And I remember my mom and grandma being like, wait, 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 what do you mean? Like, tell it what's going on. And then the doctor says, like, we think he might have cancer. And then I remember my grandma just being like, whoa. And I, and at this time, I'm like, well, what the hell? Like, I don't really even know cancer. Like, what does that mean? All this other stuff. And they're like, well, we don't want to say too much in the beginning. Let's just wait until, you know, you guys get there. They have specialists there and we'll go from there. So we go to University of Iowa um, about, you know, six, seven hours later, we arrive there and they do all these testing and thing. And then they say like, yeah, you know, it's stage four. It's all throughout your body. And if he would have waited two more weeks, he could have just died. And so obviously I have to stay in that hospital for about 45 days and I go through all these testings and everything else. So that was where obviously life took a huge turn for me at this time, because being 15, those are like your golden years of trying to figure out who you are. Are you popular? Are you not? Are you going to go to college? Are you going to become an entrepreneur? All these other things. And I didn't know how to cope with a lot of those things, but I would say that's where my mindset really started to take that shift, and um yeah, I, I guess I would turn it over to you to see you know where you'd want to go from here
0: yeah, well, so was um cancer something that like was in your family before, or no, so you know? I yeah. think you, you
1: know growing up in 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 chicago and and I don't want to limit it just to Chicago, but obviously when you're growing up around an in inner city, there's a lot of things that you're doing that is not really conducive to you living a healthy lifestyle, so for me, what was you know profound in my family was alcoholism right everybody was smoking drinking you know there were some drugs but cancer wasn't necessarily a big word in my family at least not that i was exposed to mm. so no it's and and definitely not in childhood cancer so yeah. no that was all super super foreign to so that's why my grandma was like whoa and again i was never ever sick So it was like, how do you go from never being in hospitals to all of a sudden, yeah, two weeks from now, if you wouldn't have came in here, we wouldn't have caught this, like you would have been in trouble.
0: Right, right. And, you know, I've experienced a lot of loss from cancer, like personally from people in my life. So it's just one of those things where I remember growing up where cancer was things that happened to other people, right? You know, you heard about it and like maybe it's a coworker or someone else. And now it's more even rampant, like in my just life with people that I know and family members of friends that it shows up more. So I'm just amazed, you know, at such a young age, you had to personally go through that. So what did, so you recovered, um, you're here still. So thank God, but you're here. So what was that like? So you're only 15. I know that you've still, even like, that's not the end of it. Some people like you already talked about a couple of events that would have been enough to really set anyone back, right? And these were all before you were even in your 20s. So, and I, I feel like it's still not done. Like you still had a few more moments in your life that were hard that you had to get through. Can you talk through a bit about the recovery from the cancer and then what else you had to face as you were growing up?
1: Yeah, so after I, I go through this two years of chemo, I will be honest with you. It was a lot for me and it would be a lot for anyone regardless. But when you're 15, 17, here's what I'll tell you is for me what I didn't like about it was in a sense, I felt almost invincible. And, and as a high school kid, a lot of people will. And when all things are going right, right for you, it felt like my grades were going fine. I, I had a lot of friendships. Everything was good. Well, then after I got back from the University of Iowa, what started to change was everyone looked at me like a victim, right? So this was a big thing for me because now people were asking me, oh, how do you feel? Like, are you sick or things like that? Well, I had to try to be strong, but then at the same time with going through, you know, chemotherapy every couple of weeks and really feeling tired and things not sitting well in my stomach and all these other things. But then at this, this same time, when you're 15 to 17 years old, as we know, just being like a kid anyway, it can be very, very gruesome on what people say to you. So I remember like my buddies and and people like that, they would say things that they didn't I don't think intentionally thought that was going to hurt me. But when people would say like, oh man, you better, you know, shut up for I knock that port out of your chest, right? Just things like that, that was like, but I had to be strong about it and not, it was kind of like they never let them see you sweat. So then like people would laugh, but I would try to, you know, make it seem like it didn't really affect me. So all of these things, I'm really trying to figure out how do I cope with these things mentally? How do I not show that I am a victim? How do I stay strong? But then at the same time, after school's over and everybody's going over a friend's house, but me knowing that I got to either go to cancer uh, treatment or at the same time, I have to just go home and take a rest because I've been in school all day and I'm super tired. So I think that is what kind of started to build my armor and build my character. But I'll tell you, when I first got done with it, I remember going to my mom and grandma and being, and when they said like, Hey, you're cured. I remember saying like, Hey, I'm just gonna be honest. If this thing comes back, like I'm going out comfort care style. Like I'm not going through all this again. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, now I have, you know, an eight year old son. I have a two year old daughter. I have my wife and a lot of other people who depend on me. So, of course, I would go through it again. But at that time, it was so, so mentally draining on me and physically draining that I thought that I would never go through it again. But so, yes, I come out of that. And now I'm really trying to figure out where my life is going to go. Now I'll tell you early on, people ask me, was I an entrepreneur early on? Was I doing all these different things? And I would say that I was. And the reason being is because for one, I never saw anybody who was doing anything that I wanted to do and where I got a lot of my inspiration from was the TV because my parents, my family never owned house, car, business, nothing. So for me, I would tell people all the time, like my favorite show growing up was VH1's The Fabulous Life Of. Do you remember that show? Oh, yes. I remember that. (laughs) Right. It was like their version of MTV Cribs. So I remember seeing like Richard Branson and he had the island, right? He had yachts and they would show the bling with, with the numbers and what this cost. So that's what really gave me my inspiration. And, and n- not really understanding that I had a lack of resources at that time. I was just living in it. And my mom always tried to, you know, instill some type of positivity in me, even though she didn't have it to give to me as far as financial literacy or resources. So I always felt like one day I'm going to get that type of stuff. So as I start, as really like my first ever job came around the time that I was like eight or nine years old. And what I would do, there was a gas station, probably about four or five blocks away. So what I would do is I would go over to that gas station, me and a buddy or two, and we would just stand outside in front of cars. And when you would go inside, you would come back out if you were at this time. And this is around to give people my age time, this is around 95. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would go in there and or you would go in there and come back out and I would say, Hey, if you wouldn't mind, ma'am, can I pump your gas? And then you would say yes or no. If you said yes, I would pump your gas in hopes that when it was done, you would give me 50 cents a dollar, whatever. Well, there were some days where I would walk out of there with like $20, $25 after four or five hours, being eight, nine years old, I'm feeling like I'm rich. right? Mm -hmm. And at this time you could still get like penny candy or quarter candy. So I had my own money. So that was the first time that I could really start to see that I could create my own success. And that just kind of, and my parents were proud because I was doing something on my own. I didn't keep coming to them saying, Hey, I need a dollar, $2 here or there. And so that was like the way that I kind of found my way through entrepreneurship. So throughout high school and, and throughout even when I was done with high school and going into college, I tried my hand at so many different things. And it was really just because I loved the the fact of being exposed to all these things because I knew that I didn't know what was all out there. And I struggled with always making a choice on what I wanted to do because it was like, again, like thinking about it. When we have kids, and I believe you have kids, right?
0: Oh, yes, three. Mm -hmm. Yep.
1: And so when we have these kids, we think about we want our kids to try some of everything, right? Whether it's sports, whether it's show choir, whether it's band, whether it's a, doesn't matter what it is. We want them to try everything to figure out the ropes. And so for me, I wanted to try everything. And so I think once I got into college, because I wound up going to the University of Iowa and I did three years there. Well, as I got into my junior year, about two weeks in, I remember calling up my parents after they had dropped me off and saying, hey, I don't think this is what I want to do anymore. But first off, my mom's hot because she's like, you could have told me this two weeks ago uh, before we dropped you off four and a half hours away. But on top of that, you now got to tell your grandma. And remember, I'm first generation, everything. So they're loving the fact that now past two years, I'm going into my junior year, I'm at a four year big time university, and they're going to be proud on that. But I really became of the, under, of the belief and the understanding that just because I had a degree did not mean I was going to be successful in life. What was your major? At the, well, I switched my major four times. So oh I my gosh. Out, yes. Yeah. I started out with computer science. Then I went to business. Then I went to pharmacy because I was going to be a pharmaceutical sales rep. And then my junior year, I switched it over to communications. I just wanted the piece of paper and I wanted to be done with it. Now, keep in mind, even going throughout all that stuff in high school, I graduated at 17, right? So for me, it was like, and then I, so I went even to college, like I, I was a late bloomer. So I turned 18 about three weeks into my freshman year of college. So again, I was done with school. I didn't really want to go anymore, but I knew that it was my parents wanting me to, you know, get this piece of paper. So it was something they could be proud of. And so that was like, I changed my major every single time because I didn't like any of those things. I was just trying to figure out where was my path. And so I wound yeah. up leaving college. My parents did it. They say, okay, you're going to come home. You're going to get a job. And then maybe you can go to community college and figure out what it is that you want to do. So along this path as well, I'm just trying some of everything. I mean, I'll tell you, I probably had 18 different jobs in my lifetime. I've, I've tried everything. If you mm-hmm. could think about it, I've sold it besides like major hard drugs.
0: I do have a question. So for you, because I find it very interesting um, that you tried so many things. It's good though, because so many of us like we'll start something and be like, this is not for me, but uh, you know, to pivot and do something else, you don't do it, right? Like you just think about it and you don't go after it. So what was the thing that was throughout all those jobs that you tried? Like, what was the thing that you were just like, this is not it? Like, was it a feeling where you dissatisfied with maybe if you had a boss? Cause I've always had that feeling too. Like, oh, I hate having to answer to anyone. Um, What was that? How did you know that it wasn't right for you?
1: Yeah, I think that it was really about I wanted to control my own time, right? Because maybe that came from having the cancer where I knew that tomorrow was never promised. And so I think the other thing was I was early on in like I would probably say about 14. It was the first time that I really started to get into the Forbes list. Right. So I remember when I was young. I would look at all these people on the top 400 of the Forbes or the richest men in the world, women in the world as well, richest people, and I would look at what they were doing. And I was like, oh, my God. And so me sitting in a cubicle or me having somebody else tell me what I could or could not do or go to the bathroom, whatever it was, I was like, listen, this is not my way that I'm going to make it on the top Forbes 100 list. And so that was always where I aspire to be in the end. And and then on top of that, I always felt like in my heart of hearts, I felt like I was never being valued at what I was worth, right? And so And so those are a lot of the things that went in there. And I think that I looked at it and I said, listen, if I want to be able to have a true impact on this world, I have to be able to leverage my time. So if you look at that, Let's look at anybody who's a thought leader, like an Oprah or somebody like that. Nobody tells Oprah where she really has to be, right? And And things like that. So I just knew at the end of the day, working a job, it was never going to get me to where I needed to be. And so I tried a lot of different things in hopes that I would find that right path that would lead me to where I want to be. And I think a prime example of this for somebody who, when I heard their story, I loved it was Sarah Blakely, the Spanx lady. Yeah, uh-huh. And so she talks about this. She said early on, she knew she wanted to find like a billion dollar product. And so everything that she saw, she was like, okay, is this going to lead me to my my billion dollar path? Is this going to lead me? And for anybody who's wondering, like, what was that? How can they hear it? It was on Reed Hoffman. It's called Masters of Scale. Have you ever heard of that podcast? Yes,
0: yes. Mm -hmm.
1: So he interviewed her on there and I listened to that interview and you can hear her talk about those things. And it was the first time that I felt like I resonated with someone else who had that vision early on, they, they just shared knew. it. Yeah,
0: they knew what they knew. Just what knew. They did. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: exactly. But shared it because so many people they won't share it like that. They won't share that they were crazy in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? They'll it, they'll make it seem like they had a planned and methodical, you know, way of doing it, and 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 yet yeah, it. Lit. But she said early on, she said I was crazy. She's like, I tried to do everything and everything was like, will this allow? And I think, again, if you seek it out in the end, I tell people all the time, people that I coach and that I don't coach, like you don't have to love the journey. You don't have to love the process. You just have to be married to the destination.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's stop there because I actually think that's very interesting because the thing about like people like Sarah who made it and then are like telling like the actual thought process when they first started, like people will listen to Sarah more because they're like, well, she was successful. So like, I can listen to her and like, she actually proved herself, right. And I feel like there's so many people and this could be some people listening, you and I probably similar in certain ways in which you have a big vision, you're not necessarily the big vision has not come fully into scope yet, but it's there. And so sometimes like when you're in the middle of the journey, like you said, it's harder to predict like the outcome, right? Because you don't know exactly what the billion dollar thing will be or how many, what the big impact you're going to have is going to be. And so you do have to start out where you are. And so sometimes I feel like people get a little discouraged because there's like a gap between their vision and where they currently are. So I find it interesting because I feel like with the journey, while you said you didn't have to like enjoy it.
1: You don't have to love the journey or even love the process, but you have to be
0: married to the destination. You have to be committed to the destination. And I agree. And I would just add in like personally for me, I say that, The journey, though, is the longest part. It's like who you become on the journey allows you to get to the destination. So it's like you may not enjoy some of the things you may have to do and go through the obstacles and all that stuff to get there. But it's like part of part of my thing is like the journey is what really makes you who you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you think about when I say you have to be married to the destination, For me, I believe that I'm a dreamer before anything else, right? So we all are dreamers. When you start out, that's the reason why I have the podcast name what it is, which is Dream Nation, right? Is because everything starts with a dream. You didn't know when you first decided that you were going to start Journey to Launch, you didn't know necessarily that you were going to get to a million downloads. You didn't know that you're going to get to 50 million downloads, right? But you had a dream and you knew that you wanted to impact the lives of others and you wanted to be able to be some type of a bridge for them to be able to find where their purpose is and find their clarity and, and be some type of a resource. So it started with the dream. And now if you looked at this, you think of all of the things that you probably didn't know it was going to go like this over the last two and a half years, right? Well, there's so many things that you never could have predicted when you first started. Then now you'll look back and you'll laugh on it and you'll say, wow, I, I didn't know. I, I never would have thought that I would have been able to get these people to have interest in my podcast or where my audience would turn. So that's what I think for a lot of people, all you have to do is think of the big picture, right? And you think about at the end of the day, in a perfect world, who am I going to impact? And what is the legacy that I'll leave? And then along this way, as long as you know that that's my end goal, that's my mission, my vision, here's my values, I think the path is definitely gonna change.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you were searching for that thing. Um, You said you went back home what was your next move? What did you find that thing? It seems like real estate became that for you.
1: Yeah. So real estate it was funny because I knew nothing about real estate before getting in. I'll tell you how my journey became was my first ever job. Well, first I, I played online poker. And my first real thing that I thought that I was gonna do was video gaming. I thought I was gonna so it's funny now because my son, he just he's very, very good at basketball. he's, he's big into sports, all these other things. But about two and a half weeks ago, and I'm, you might be able to relate to this, I asked my son, I was like, well, what are you going to do when you get older? And it was a lot more context to this. And before it would always be basketball. But yet, he just told me a couple of weeks ago with pure conviction that he's going to be a YouTuber when he grows up. Right. And so I'm like, oh, my God. But And, and now he's big into the Fortnite and everything else, which is us as parents. We're learning how to cope with these things because obviously we've always been fed the traditional route. But we could see that that's not there's no longer necessary to really have a purpose in life and, and to be successful. We see people winning all day, just like with these podcasts. So anyway, for me, I thought originally I was going to be a professional gamer, tried that way out. Then my son was born. And at the time, there was not a lot of money behind all these things. So I was like, okay, well, I got to get a real job. So I tried my hand at a lot of different real jobs. Then I played poker for a living for two years. That wound up getting shut down in the US. So I had to get a passport and go live in Canada for three weeks so I could continue to play. And then, but my son was on his way of being born. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to stay outside of the country while I had a son that was about to be born, all these other things. So I wound up coming back and I had to get a real job. And so that real job for me at the time was serving tables. And I was around 23 at this time, right? So I'm around Mm -hmm. 23 at this time. I'm done playing poker. I get a job. I'm serving tables. I'm trying to figure out what my next move is going to be. You're You're being responsible
0: now. You're like, all right, I got to come back. I have a son on the way. All of those things. So I get this job serving tables, still
1: knowing that I still want my flexibility. So the reason why I'm serving tables is you get cash tips. You can pick up, you can drop shifts whenever you want, all these other things. So I decide, and it's at a a higher tier restaurant, right? Um, Not full on like the highest, but it's probably the average plate there is around 18, 19 dollars. So I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do this. Well, here's what starts to shift in my mind. I began to get a lot of regular. So I would see you, i say, hey, Jamila. And you would say, hey, and I would say, you're waiting on the table, like just making small talk. And you're like, yeah, actually, where we see that those people are about to get up in your section, we're waiting for them to get up and then we're going to sit down there if it's cool. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'll clean off the table. And then what started to dawn on me is that you, your family, your friends, like you could have went anywhere in the city on this given Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, but not only did you choose to come to this restaurant, but you choose to wait on a table in my section in a world of instant gratification because you knew that I would serve you, because you knew that you wouldn't be hassled. It wasn't about the tip. It was really about the relationship. So that started to like dawn on me. And, and I love the conversations. And I was like, man, this is like maybe I'm on to something here. So I'm just serving tables and keep doing it. I'm having a lot of fun. Well, during this time, I wind up having the GM of a pretty large car dealership um, that came in and he became one of my regulars. So we go in to buy a car and I'm buying it from a buddy of mine. And he says, um, he sees me out there and he says, hey, is that Casanova? And he says, yeah, it is. And he says, ask me if he has any interest in selling cars. And so my buddy comes back out and he's like, hey, Justin, who's the GM, wants to know if you want to sell cars. And I look at my wife and I keep in mind, I didn't know anything about cars. My parents never even owned a car. I didn't know how to drive a car, really. I was getting my first car, all these other things. So I'm thinking like, nah, because all I had in my mind was you sleazy car salesman, right? And I didn't want my name to be associated with that. So I'm like, nah, I'm good. So as all sales managers are, he was very persistent. So he gets me to come in a few days later and he's like, yo, let me ask, like, what are your goals in life? Now at this time, I'm still serving. So I'm like, look, I don't really know. All I know is that I want to make a hundred thousand dollars in one year. Right. I just want to be the six figure man. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but that would be my first step in my journey to launch. Right. And so that was a big thing for me. So he says, okay, you see these three guys outside of my glass window. So I look back and he's got this big glass office. And I say, yeah, he said, well, all three of those guys made over 90 grand last year, two of which made over 110. And he's like, look, I'm not saying that you're going to, and I, here's what I'll tell you. I knew one of the guys and he was a year younger than me. He went to a different high school, but we at least knew, kind of knew each other. So now he's like pushing my hot buttons, but I didn't know like that that was still what I wanted to do, but he's like, listen, I'm not saying that you're going to come in and make over 110,000. He's like, but I know potential when I see it and you have that potential. So he pushed my hot buttons. He told me a couple other things. And long story short, he winds up being able to get me to come sell cars. Well, I knew nothing about it. Within six months, I got car salesman of the month on my fifth in the sixth month. So two months in a row out of 27 other sales reps, and I'm crushing it. So how am I doing that? I know nothing really still about cars, but I know how to build relationships with people. So around this same time, I'm selling cars, but my son's now born, right? And he's going through this potty training stage, and now I find that I'm missing so much time there because I'm at the dealership eight a.m. to eight p.m. I'd like I don't really like this. Well, uh, during the same time, my oh, my seventh grade football coach hits me up and he says, "Hey, you know, how's things going?" Da 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 da. Are you interested in making some money on the side you know, and, and building a business, all this other stuff? So I didn't know what I didn't know. But well, he winds up getting me to come to one of these meetings. It's a network marketing thing. And specifically, it's Amway, if you've ever heard of that. It's like, yeah yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I do the Amway thing. And I quickly find within about six to eight months, the Amway in particular is not for me. As far as those products and services at that time in my life. But what I did learn was the the personal development side, I absolutely love being exposed to it. So it was the first time I got exposed to like Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, Go For No, Richest Man in Babylon, all these other things. So I'm like, wow, like nobody's ever told me about this. And so I wound up doing that on the side for again, like six to eight months And then how I wound up making it to real estate was I got a job opportunity because I'm working so many hours at the car dealership. So basically, I just come off my first 10K month, which in Iowa is is huge because keep in mind, like our average home price in Sioux City, Iowa is like one hundred and forty thousand dollars. Right, So it's like small town, all these things. So I'm making good money and and I'm only like 25 at the time. So I wound up quitting the car dealership, which it looked like I was crazy, to then move to Omaha, Nebraska, which was an hour and a half south of, of Sioux City, which is where I am now. I wound up moving here so I could basically be a marketing consultant for a big company that at the time was 70% in the telephone directory. Now they've tried to transition out of that. But I remember distinctly my sales manager being like, Nova, are you effing stupid? Like you're going to leave this. You just came off the biggest month you've ever had what you're doing for your family. So you can go sell yellow
0: pages. What made you want to do that? So for a lot of people um, listening, like in terms of like finding your way, finding your path. It sounds like you built it upon like the skills. So the one of the things you first said in the interview was relationship building is key, and so that is something that I think any like whether you are an entrepreneur or not, relationships are everything. I would say your net work is your net worth because if you're right. able to communicate and find camaraderie with people and really like get to like what people want and need, um, you are able to then conduct business or be able to exchange services with them. So for you, it seems like that, and plus you had a lot of like ambition and drive, plus probably now you're learning about sales because you're doing well with, I mean, sales, like even with being a server, you got to, it's like a sales job almost, right? You're selling the dishes and it's part of it. And so it sounds like you just, you kept building upon your resume. So now you're, you moved jobs. So what was the reason? Was it more like you thought it was a better opportunity to, to also employ your skills to make more money? Or why did you give up this sales job at the car dealership for this new thing?
1: Yeah. So the other thing was sales as well. It was a marketing consultant. It was still going to be based off of sales, but keep in mind that in the beginning, my whole goal through this was to be able to have more time. I wanted to control my own time. So how they proposed this to me was saying, Hey, one, the network marketing congregation, the big one that I was a part of was down here in Omaha. So they say, Hey, look, man, you got to get out of that job. How about you come do this job? You're only going to work eight to five, but then there's tons of incentives for you to only work instead of 40 hours, like 25 to 30 hours. And then when you're not working, you can quote unquote build the business, right? And then eventually look for your time freedom. So I'm like, okay, cool. So it was still a sales job. So I took this job opportunity, but I was always, again, I, I used my path because I knew that I wanted bigger. And I knew that I couldn't get that out of Sioux City and selling cars. So here, let's try this other thing. Plus it's in a bigger city. And my wife and I, at that time, we had always... There were, over the last like year, year and a half of that time, we were looking at moving down to Kansas City, Missouri. So the thought was it's bigger, it's more urban. You got the Chiefs, the Royals, all these things. So we'd be able to have more to do with my son. So we didn't have any family down there. We had no no support. So when I got this job opportunity in Omaha, it was like, listen, before we move four hours away and, and leave our families, her mom, her dad, her dad, everything, let's make sure that Omaha works, which is right in the middle. And then if it's still not big enough after we've made sure we can make this work, then we'll move down to Kansas City. So again, I was just taking every step, but I knew that I always wanted bigger, bigger, bigger. Because. So it, yeah, it was just one stepping stone in the process. And I knew that I had to do something. So- so then so how did you get
0: into real estate? At what point were you like, how did you start to build your portfolio and know that real estate was for you?
1: Right. So what I decided to do was I took on this job, started crushing it at this. Well, then I quickly learned that in the corporate world, everybody could tell you no, but nobody could tell you yes. Right. So for me, I was leading all these emergent leader programs and things like that, because it, this was probably about Four thousand inside sales reps, and within nine months, I finished as number eight in the entire company. Right, so they were loving everything that I was doing, and I'm like, "Look, I want to try my hand at management, though." And they're like, "Oh, Casanova, you know, you, you're doing so great, but there's no opportunity right now." I'm like, "Okay, I see where this is going." So around the same time, I started to look, and do you know who Jay Morrison is? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I wound up catching a Jay Morrison video on YouTube. And he had said, you got to figure out a way to be the Lord of your land. So for me, I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Like, I I love that, but I don't, we never own real estate. I don't know how to do that. But I looked deeper into his story. And I seen that at that time, he was the uh, acclaimed celebrity realtor. So I said, okay. And I was like, okay, I don't know how to own real estate, but what I do know how to do is just from my journey, my path, I know how to build relationships with other people. So how about I get my real estate license? I help other people buy, sell, and invest, and then I'll take my commissions and buy my own real estate. So that was the path that I decided to go on. So I wound up getting my real estate license because of that path, and then never knowing that I would become this celebrity realtor, my whole goal was just to really figure out how to be the lord of my land, and that's kind of where that path came in at.
0: Yeah, I love that phrase, be the Lord of your land. So with the real estate, you became successful with that. So throughout all of what you're talking about, you know, the adversities you've been through, staying consistent, you know, some people would have given up and just said, you know what, maybe I'm never gonna find like the thing. Maybe I'm not meant to do this big thing. I always say, you don't have to also have a crazy big dream, whatever it is that makes you happy, right? That makes you feel like you're fulfilled in life. What are the qualities that allowed you to withstand and to succeed the way that you have so that people can start to think, okay, what can I do more of in my life or how can I change how I'm perceiving this thing that's happening to me right now?
1: The number one thing that I always thought of is that joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain, because we all go through some type of pain. So if somebody right now is trying to figure out how do they navigate through life? Well, first off, I always say, what is your gift, right? And so your gift is what comes easy for you and harder for others. So you, you think about what's my gift in, in this world. And then I think the second part of that is if you don't really know that, ask yourself when you go throughout your day, what does somebody already tell you wow and thank you for? We all have our own unfair advantage, Right, And so what does that look like? You could be somebody who's an engineer where you look at things on an analytical standpoint. You could be somebody who you're just very detail oriented and maybe you're a proofreader or maybe you're some type of a freelancer. You could be somebody who loves your artistic ability and maybe you want to be a graphic designer. You could be a video editor. There's all these things of what you can do in life. So for me, if you look at what my path has been, it was always what was my gift? My gift was building relationships with people. My gift was having high energy, high charisma. And and I understood that because people were already saying, wow, like your energy is contagious, it's infectious. And so I just built off of that. So it didn't really matter what I was selling, right? It just mattered that I built the relationships and that I always brought positivity to someone else's life. When I went through my last stint of adversity, which was four months after I got my real estate license, and this was probably the biggest one for me, after I got my license, basically my mom and grandma calls me up and they say, hey, you know what? We want to move down to Omaha to be closer to you, Julie, and CJ. And they had nothing left in Sioux City, so we say, okay. Well, within moving my mom down here within a couple weeks, within 24 hours, my mom winds up going to the hospital here in Omaha. To shorten up this story, within a week and a half stretch, I lose my mom at that hospital. As a domino effect, just because of where I am in life right now of transitioning from inside sales to outside sales, so I can build my real estate business and have more control over my time, I wound up losing that job because I was so brand new and I still had to protect my grandma and everything else. And then as a result of losing my job, I wound up losing my home, which was our first home that we had under contract. So when they went to re-verify employment to make sure I still had a job, I no longer had that job because of a couple of different other things. So all within a couple of weeks' timeframe, I lose my job, I lose my mom, and I lose my home all within a matter of weeks. Well, to fast forward, within nine months, I had did 46 deals in that $8 million in volume. But how did I do that? I really just honed down on what were my strengths. My strengths was, again, I was able to build relationships. People didn't know me, but people didn't know what I even knew about real estate at the time but I focused on making sure that I could pour into other people, that I could have high integrity and high energy. And so people didn't really care. They didn't know that I was sleeping in a basement next to a furnace and a water heater for my first nine months of selling real estate. But yet I was helping them buy three hundred to $400,000 houses, obviously, which is higher in Omaha as well. So I just focused on what my gift was. And so for you, think of what is your gift what comes easy for you and harder for other people and then double down on that strength is what i would say
0: yeah and it sounds like too because you know you can never predict what life throws at you or what you endure and so you know there are a lot of people who wouldn't have been able to show up and still do you know that kind of work or sell the real estate or continue on um mentally right and so i always say that that's why like the mental side of things, like how you perceive things, how you withstand things is really what allows you to succeed because everyone that I've ever spoke to, whether it's on the podcast or, or in personal life that has succeeded at any level, it's not that they haven't gone through anything and everyone's level of pain and you, know, you, you can't even, yeah, sure, we can like stack pain against each other and try to compare it, but everyone has their own thresholds, right? But even the littlest things that may not seem like as big as losing like a parent, can feel like a big setback for someone. But it's really just like not giving up, right? Like it's almost just like expecting that these things can happen in life, but realizing that the only way that you fail is if you don't, like you said, use your gifts that you were given.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so the only thing you can never control the result, the only thing that you can control is your effort do it. You can't control if you're going to win or lose that game. You can't control if your business is going to succeed or if it's going to fail after five years. It doesn't matter. Only thing you can control is your effort. And you always have to find some type of positivity out of every single situation. You can always find something positive. I'll tell you, obviously, over the last 30 days, our world has been super impacted by the loss of, of Kobe, his daughter, and everybody else who was on that flight. And so for so many people, myself included, your faith is tested by something like that because you're like, man, this young girl, she was making such a positive impact for other girls and what Kobe has done. I'm a huge basketball fan. So it's been amazing. And so you struggle to find, well, what is the positivity out of that? Well, then for me, just trying to search for what I could find, I thought about, you know, I don't know if there's ever been another icon over at least this generation or the last 20 years that's been able to bring together the world as it has with losing them, to. So, again, there's no positive out of taking um, their lives. But at the same time, you have to find some type of blemish of hope. And so if you think about Michael Jackson or Prince or anybody else like that, there's still that disconnect because some people might not have really listened to their music or whatever else or the thoughts that they had. But with Kobe and with his daughter and with the other people on there, it was a profound impact in the way that it unified all of us to really just think that there's so many bigger things that we can be grateful for in life because it can be gone too soon. So I think in every situation, no matter where you are in life, you can find some type of hope right? It allowed me to just keep going when I lost my mom to know that everything that I do, every minute of every hour, every person who I try to impact their lives, and I can use her as the, the beacon of hope that it was for me, I'm sure that she's looking down on me and she's proud because that was all she ever wanted in life. I was very, very close with my mom. And being a single mother and her doing everything she did for me, now when I look at this, I say, why did I have to lose my mom? But maybe that opened up my eyes to understand that, again, it can all be gone tomorrow. Mm. So you have to figure out what is the positive angle that you can take from this that allows you to smile. Because if you can smile, somebody else will see that smile and it becomes, again, contagious and infectious. And if you hit with a thank you and whatever else, maybe you made somebody else's life or at least day that much better that day.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. I'm so glad that you walked us through your story and you overcoming adversity. I know there are some people listening that may have lost a loved one recently, or just in general in their life, or are just going through something. And so to hear that at the end of the day, like you can still realize your dreams, even if you know, like you try different things, and it's not working, you really just got to keep pushing forward that you can come out on the other side. So please cast let everyone know like where they can find out more about your story, follow your journey, and you have a podcast. So share all the things where people can catch up with you.
1: Yeah. First, I'll say again, I appreciate you having me on here. This has been a, a wonderful conversation and I look forward to having you on mine as well. For anybody who wants to stay connected with me, I, oh, I'm i very, very accessible. I'm on all the social media sites, Casanova, C-A-S-A-N-O-V-A underscore Brooks. I'm the most active on Instagram. And then I do have my podcast, which is Dream Nation. It's one word. It's out on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, it's all over, but it's Dream Nation. And I guess the last thing that that I will say on this is understand that your journey, a lot of the times, is not for you, right? We all have our own stories that we tell ourselves in our head, but you have to be able to get outside of your own head and you have to understand that you're going to impact somebody else with your journey. So every day when you push forward, maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your, your brother, your sister. Maybe it's somebody who is in your mastermind group, but everybody's looking for inspiration and for hope to just keep moving forward every single day. That's the reason why masterminds and coaching programs are so big. And so understand that if you're only thinking about yourself and why you can't take that next step forward, that you're being selfish because your journey is not for you. It's for someone else. And that's how we make this world a better place.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And so I will definitely link all of this in the show notes. So thanks again, Casanova. This was great. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Journeyers, I really hope you enjoyed that podcast, that conversation with Casanova Brooks. Adversity is all relative. I don't think we should compare our problems and issues to someone else, because what is a lot for someone may be not a big deal for someone else. And we all have our journeys that we're on and our things that block us, that stop us, that temporarily stop us, right? Not permanently, but that cause us to pause and decide if we're going to continue and hope because you're listening to this podcast, you'll always decide to continue no matter how bleak things seem, because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm glad that I was able to talk to Casanova through how he was able to get through all those tough times in his life and put him to where he is today. So I hope you can take away something from this, implement something, shift mindsets, be more encouraged for your journey in life and in financial freedom and in independence.